your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew's Gospel, the last chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 835. As you turn there, I wanted to make mention, I meant to do this earlier, about this here. This is something we, we talked about last week at our annual meeting. We're going to hang it out in the hallway there, but uh, Gordy made this beautiful frame for it. But this is a, a, a picture of a church, obviously an older picture of a church. And the idea is that we, we all uh, are needed components to make up the body that God has, has put together here. And that we're not complete, that, that we need to have more people come and that we're dependent upon each other and so that's kind of the symbolism here and we'll be talking about this throughout the year it'll be hanging uh in the hallway like i said for you to see um just a good visual good symbolic representation of some of the themes we're going to try to hit this year and this morning from matthew 28 we want to talk about uh the subject of why are we here before I do that, is I, I just want to pause and, and pray and ask God's blessing on, on this time. Father, I just ask that um, right now you would be honored in what is said and, and, and how we look at your scriptures. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is sufficient for us. It is something that we need. And that you have given to us to guide us, to teach us, to reveal to us who you are. I can't imagine going through this life without knowing who you are. And you are so infinite that we can study you and study your word for our entire lives and still be learning new things each day. And so I pray that you would cause us to do that and give us the motivation and desire to study your word. And so right now, as we've set aside this time to look at this text of scripture, Father, I pray that you, you, uh, your spirit would do only what you can do, and that is uh, uh, take the truths of this word and drive them deep into our souls. And so we, we bow before you now, knowing and recognizing that uh, that is the only hope we have of walking away this day with um, renewed passions and a greater understanding of you. It is only if your spirit works. And so uh, we, we humbly, we uh, joyfully recognize that truth and bow before it and ask that you would teach us now. So thank you that we can look at this, this portion of your word. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. After several seasons in the National Basketball Association, seven foot one center Shaquille O'Neal was traded to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. When interviewed about his arrival in Cleveland, Shaq, as he is called, said this. He said, I am here to win a ring for the king. Now, Shaq's comments were in reference to the captain of the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, who embraces the nickname the King, King James. Up to that point, LeBron James had not yet won a championship. So in Shaq's mind, there, that was his purpose for being there in Cleveland, was to win a championship ring for himself and then for James, LeBron James. 
Now, I bring that up not because I'm a fan of either player necessarily or the Cleveland Cavaliers, but I bring that up to point out the fact that whether we agree or disagree with Shaquille O'Neal's statement, I am here to win a ring for the king, we understand there's one thing we can take away from that is that when you know why you are in a place, it informs what we do when we are there. So for his, in his mind, he knew he was not going to be the all-star or the captain of the team. That was LeBron James's position. His job as he was on the downcline or the downside of his career was to help LeBron James win a championship in Cleveland. History will tell us that that didn't happen. So, but I'd like to ask us a question this morning. Why are you here? Why are you here at church? Why are you in Wisconsin? Why are you on earth? What is your purpose? Why are you alive right now? Maybe we've laid awake at night, much like Charlie Brown, and I'll ask the same question Charlie Brown asked himself. Sometimes I lie awake at night and ask, Why am I here? Why are you here? Why am I here? Why is this church here? I presented this question to the deacons in one of our meetings recently, and we had several good answers that came out. But I I I want you to wrestle with this question this morning. Why are you here? Pastor John MacArthur, who pastors in California, he offered a few possibilities of what our purpose is. And he offered fellowship or learning about God through his word or offering praise to God. But while each one of those things are important, they are not the reason, MacArthur concludes, why we are here today. And I agree with him. Let me share this quote from you from MacArthur. He said this, If God's primary purpose... For the saved were loving fellowship, that he would take believers immediately to heaven, where spiritual fellowship is perfect, unhindered by sin, disharmony, or loneliness. If his primary purpose for the saved were the learning of his word, he would also take believers immediately to heaven, where his word is perfectly known and understood. And if God's primary purpose for the saved were to give him praise, he again would take believers immediately to heaven, where praise is perfect and unending. Now, I I need to stop and say that fellowship, praise to God, learning about about his word, those are all very important things. And we could argue, if you're wrestling with this in your mind right now, we could argue that everything we do should be in praise to God. I would concede that point. So if, if if that's distracting right now, don't let it distract you. But what is the purpose? I believe it's the same purpose that God gave to Jesus in John 20, verse 21. Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So he says, like the Father sent me into this world for a purpose, and for the same reason, in the same way that the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you out. And what is that? Well, Luke helps us understand that. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man, Jesus said, talking about himself, came to seek and save the lost. So that brings us to our text this morning in Matthew 28. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's what I hope to show you this morning. Here's what I hope for you to know this morning is this. Our purpose, individually and corporately, our purpose is to make disciples. That is our purpose. We see it in the text here. In Matthew 28, there's only one command in the entire text, and that is make disciples. Go is a participle that has, that has a, 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 a command force to it, but yet it's, it's telling how to, to do this. Same thing with baptizing and teaching. So the one command in verses 16 through 20 that appears in our scriptures is to make disciples. This is what Jesus says. So let's look at this, this purpose this morning. First of all, our purpose, we must understand, is based on Jesus' authority. Our purpose is based on Jesus' authority. Did you see that in verse 18? When he says, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore. The word therefore connects the ideas. And he says, because I have all this authority, because all the authority has been given to me, therefore, I'm going to tell you to do something. So our command, our purpose in life is directly connected to the authority of Jesus. And Jesus' authority, he says here, extends to every realm. He says, all authority here in heaven and earth. There is no place where Jesus' authority is not supreme. There is no place where Jesus is second in command. There is no place where Jesus is vice president. His authority extends in every realm. Let me show some examples in the scriptures of, uh, of Jesus' authority. We see that he has authority over sickness, according to Matthew chapter 4. Authority over demons is on display. His authority over sin, death. He's even said in John chapter 10 that he had the authority to lay down his own life and take it up again. This is the reason why Jesus could offer his own life in a suicide mission if if you will, and yet it not be sin because he had authority over life. It's wrong for you and me to consider suicide because we don't have authority over our lives. But Jesus had authority over his life. There is no realm, there is no place, there is no sanctuary where Jesus does not have authority. And because of that, Jesus says, because of my authority, I'm going to tell you to do something. I'm going to give you your purpose. That's to make disciples. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 says this, talking about Jesus. Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might 
be preeminent. In everything, he's preeminent. So Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our King, he is just that. He's our King. And because of that authority, he can tell us what to do. He can define our life's purpose for us. So therefore, Jesus' commands come from the highest authority and demand obedience without question. Because he has authority, all authority has been given to him. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's no place where he does not have supreme authority. Jesus then can give commands, and when he gives those commands, they need to be obeyed without question. Now, this reminds me of the Disney movie Aladdin. You've got to forgive me, because where we're at with the children, age of the children in our house, movie references are going to be animated. Most likely. I remember when this movie came out. I think it was 92 or something like that. I can't remember exactly when it came out. But as I was thinking about this idea of authority, for whatever reason, this illustration came to my mind. There's a scene early in the movie where Princess Jasmine sneaks out of the palace to explore the city. Aladdin meets her in the city and they instantly hit it off. I mean, it is a Disney movie, right? Aladdin is wanted by the evil Jafar, who is the Sultan's most trusted advisor. Later in this scene, Aladdin is captured in the presence of Jasmine, and she tries to get him free from the palace guards. After a brief struggle, she dramatically takes off the hood over her head and says, unhand him by order of the princess. The guards fall down, and they start in in, in submission to him. Uh, Aladdin's like, the princess? What? What's going on here? But what happens? Do the guards let let Aladdin go? No. The reason why is because in this scene right here, the chief of the palace guards explaining to the princess, well, I would, but the order comes from Jafar, who is higher than you. You're going to have to take it up with him. You see, she had great authority, but she didn't have ultimate authority, and she was overruled. Now, what's the point here? The point is that with Jesus, there is no Jafar. There is no one that has more authority than him, and so what he says is supreme. What he says goes. What he says comes from the, with the highest authority attached to it. I'm driving this point home because when it comes to our life's purpose, we need to understand who has authority to determine that. And it is Jesus, it is not me, and it is not you. That's the reason why we need to understand this. And so... A command to make disciples, then, is really an issue of authority. The command that we have to make disciples is an issue of authority. And so when God, Jesus says, this is what you must do, it's coming with the highest authority. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not if you get around to it. It's not if you have the giftedness. It's not if you have the training. This is saying, because I am your authority, you must do this. This is your purpose. This is what Jesus is saying here. 
And so because the command to make disciples is based upon Jesus' authority, it isn't an ability issue. It's not a time issue. It's not an education issue. It's an authority issue. So let me say it more clearly. A refusal, a refusal to stay on mission of making disciples is a refusal to submit to Jesus' authority. You believe that? This is difficult. Because how many times do I ignore my purpose here because I have other plans? I have other goals. I have other dreams. It's not an issue of time. It's an issue of whether I'm going to bow, whether or not I will bow to my authority in my life. We want the authority to determine our own purpose. But the reality is that we have no authority to do so. You and I don't get to determine our purpose in life. That has been said. And that is that we bring God great glory through this right here of making disciples. Again, I go back to these other ideas that, yes, we are here to fellowship with one another. We are here to learn of God's word. But the key is, is that we have been sent in this world on mission to make disciples. How are we doing This is the authority that Jesus said, I want you to, because I'm telling you, you're going to debate with me. You're going to argue with me. You're going to come up with so many different reasons why you shouldn't do this and why you don't have the proper uh, techniques or the time or the training, whatever it is. But I'm telling you, with your supreme authority, this is what you are to do. So we need to obey Jesus and make disciples. Now, our purpose is comes with Jesus' authority, but our purpose is clarified by Jesus' instruction here. He doesn't just tell us to go do something and then doesn't tell us how to do it. He says, here is how you do this, and he clarifies our purpose by his instruction here. First, we see in this text that disciples are made through a willingness to go. Some people have translated verse 19 as, as you are going, therefore make disciples. It's the idea that you are in the process of going. It's the idea of that as you move about. And I think that there's, there's legitimacy to that. But the idea there, though, is that we need to be mobile. We need to be intentional with what we do. And it says there, of all nations, it says, has the idea of without discrimination, and so there needs, we need to understand that there are people, there are people groups that do not have the gospel in their language. There are people that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I remember the first time I met someone this way. I was on a mission trip to Canada as, as a high schooler. And we were going and, and I was playing basketball with some people in a local park. And someone said, why are you here? And I said, well, we are here on a mission trip. And they said, what's that? I said, well, we are here to tell people about Jesus. And the person, I'll never forget it, looked at me and said, who is Jesus? And I couldn't believe it. I said, you've never heard of Jesus. He says, no, I have no idea. Who is Jesus? I didn't even know where to begin. Because in my context, you start with this understanding of who Jesus is. Everyone knows who Jesus is. So where do I start? Do I start with him walking on water? Do I start with him being bored? Where do I start? It was a very eye-opening experience for me. There are people all over this world who do not know Jesus. And there are people all over this world who think they know Jesus. And they don't. So disciples are made through a willingness to go. 
I think part of the strategy of the church over the years has morphed into a desire to try to get people to come to us. But rather, what Jesus is saying here is we need to be willing to go to them. It takes intentionality. So are you willing to let God's purpose for your life direct your relationships, your travel plans, your hobbies? Some of you enjoy shooting guns. Have you ever thought of joining a gun club so, just so that you can meet people who need to meet Jesus? Some of you enjoy playing sports. Have you ever thought about starting a sports league from your work so you can introduce your coworkers to Jesus? You can use our gym if you want to. Some of you enjoy knitting, crocheting, etc. Ever think of setting up shop next door here to see if you can connect with others and find out if they need to be told of Jesus' grace and forgiveness. The point is, we all have talents. We all have abilities. Let's use them to make disciples. So who's willing to leave everything and go on a mission field and tell people of Jesus? What stops us from that? We can say a lot of things, but I think probably the number one thing that stops us from telling people about Jesus is fear. Fear. My friend, his name's Irfan. He will actually be a, a keynote speaker at a conference that we're going to host here in April on uh, a biblical response to cultural hostility. Uh, right now, as I speak, he is in Iraq and uh, ministering the gospel to uh, refugees and to the people of Iraq. Um, it's a very dangerous situation. He was born in Baghdad, and um, his dad converted to Christianity through a miraculous uh, event. It was quite amazing. And his family essentially told him, you, you have a choice. You can, you, can, you can flee or we'll kill you. And so they, they fled to the United States. Uh, Irfan and I went to high school together. We were roommates in college together. Uh, and to this day, we are very close friends. And so right now, he is he's taking the gospel to the people of Iraq. He's trying to encourage pastors there. Right now, he's only about 40 miles from Mosul, which is the headquarters of ISIS in Iraq. Look at what, as he's ministering to pastors there, look at what one Iraqi pastor told him just a couple days ago. He said this, I'm not smart enough to know why God allows people like ISIS, but I know we have never seen more Muslims coming to us and asking about Jesus than I have ever seen in my lifetime. I also know God has a plan for everything. A Iraqi pastor says just a couple days ago, why don't we go? Because we're afraid. But, but we, God is doing things. And if I can just be honest with you for a second here, well, actually, I'm honest with the whole message. But if figuratively speaking, I'm tired of reading about God miraculously saving people. I want to see it. I want to see it here. I think we need to embrace God's purpose for our life. That is to make disciples. 
I told you I'm convicted by when I'm reading and studying this text. And, and I mean, it, it is, there's so many areas where I, I need to grow in. And I pray that God uses this, this looking at this text to, to convict you of the same thing. Let me share with you one example of God's greatness being proclaimed in Iraq. My friend sent me this video of what was happening. Go ahead and, and play that video. Let me explain to you what's happening here. You can go ahead and turn the volume down on the, on the video if you'd like while I explain what's happening. Irfan said this. He said, this is my friend Joseph, who is a recent convert from Islam to Christianity. And he's sharing his testimony with a Muslim woman in a tiny brick home that she built inside the refugee camp. They were searching for a place to build a bakery as, a, as an opportunity to uh, share the gospel with people. So Joseph is is sharing this, his testimony with this lady. Irfan writes, he says, I caught one of the most awesome parts of the conversation. She is saying, yes, I believe in Issa, the name for Jesus as a prophet in Islam. And he is saying, no, believe in Jesus instead. He's not just a prophet, he's your savior. This video was shot just a couple days ago. Half hour later, this lady trusted in Christ, accepted Christ. God is doing things all over this world. Disciples are being made. And quite frankly, I want in on it. That's why we're here. We're here for, for, to see people come to know Christ. We're here to see people grow in their walk with Christ. We're here to help one another do that and encourage one another. And push one another to love and good works. And we're here to, to, to introduce people to Jesus. Another pastor in Iraq said this to Irfan. He says, it feels like I'm battling the extinction of Christianity in Iraq. They need help. How can we help people like that? Maybe we need to go. This is just one example. The point of the sermon is not to try to get everyone to leave Verona and go to Iraq. The point is that we need to be willing to take the gospel anywhere. But let's start here. Let's start here, right where God has placed us. Because our purpose is that we have, that God has given to us to make disciples has within it a willingness to go. How else does Jesus say disciples are made? He says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So disciples are made through baptism. We need to teach others that baptism is identification with Christ. Baptism has historically been understood as the sign of interest into Christ's family. And the Lord's Supper is a renewal of those covenant vows. There are some people that debate how this should be translated here. Some, it, it can be translated when it says baptize them in the name of the Father. It can legitimately be translated baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, whether or not that's true or not, there's scholars, good men on both sides of the issue. But the point is, is that we need to be, have an identification with Christ. So, are you baptized? 
If, if you're going to assist others to become what you are, a disciple, you have to be what you claim to be. In other words, you can't make disciples of Jesus if you're not a disciple of Jesus. And one of the signs of being a disciple of Jesus that he has said, do this, it is baptism. Sorry, baptized. How can you teach somebody to be baptized if you yourself are not baptized? So understand this, that if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus and you're not baptized, the Bible really has no category for you. Because all throughout the scriptures in the New Testament here, I should say, once someone accepted Christ, they were baptized almost immediately. Now, I understand there needs to be a time, particularly in the case of young people, to understand what's going on. But there is no category for a person who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and is not yet baptized. It's just not there. David Platt says it even more strongly. He says this, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and have not yet been baptized, you're living in direct disobedience to Christ. The New Testament knows nothing of unbaptized Christians. It's not that one has to be baptized in order to become a Christian, but once you are a Christian, your public declaration of faith in Christ necessarily involves baptism. To neglect baptism is to dishonor and disobey Christ. In fact, if you continue to be unrepentant in this area, refusing to identify with Christ in baptism, there is serious reason to question whether or not you are a Christian at all. Are you baptized? I mean, our purpose is to make disciples. And part of showing that, that we are disciples of Christ, is public testimony of Jesus Christ. And that is in the waters of baptism. And he says, do this. And then we need to teach others to do this. And we can't teach someone to do something if we ourselves haven't done it. Something for you to think about. Now, if you think that this is an overstatement, let me remind you what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10. In verse 32, he says this, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And the identification, one of the ways, one of the primary ways, the first way that, that Jesus has given to us is through the waters of baptism. And so I know that there are people here that need to be baptized. You claim to be a disciple of Christ. Praise God for that. Show it in the way that the text clearly tells us to. And then let's teach others to do the same thing. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done. Beautiful picture of salvation. He said, this is a means of making disciples. See, because it's not just about conversion. It's not just about someone to say, yeah, I believe in Christ. It's the idea of someone becoming an actual learner or follower. That's what disciple means, a learner or follower of Jesus. And part of that is in the waters of baptism. But thirdly, disciples are made through teaching to obey Jesus' commands. You see that in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We need to teach what Jesus has commanded what did Jesus command? What, what, what do we know about this? John chapter 14 says this. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Obedience is a mark of discipleship. John chapter 13, verse 35, by, all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Keeping the, the law that we've talked about, loving God, loving people. 
And again, we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about never sinning. We're not talking about never missing the boat here. But we're talking about this is our purpose, that we recognize our purpose. My purpose is to make disciples and point people to Jesus Christ. And part of me doing that is to obey Christ in everything that he's commanded because of my love for him, because of what he has done for me. So again, I say, if we are going to assist others to become what you are, you have to be what you claim to be. In other words, you can't make disciples of Jesus if you're not a disciple of Jesus. So, are you a disciple of Jesus? If the answer to that question is yes, then you need to make disciples. If the answer to that question is no, then you need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I would love to help you in any of those. So the question is, how can you teach someone... To be teachable, though, if we ourselves are not teachable. It says that this is what we do. We're going to make disciples. We need to teach people. You need to learn about Jesus, and you need to, to obey all that he's commanded. And so what we need to do is in our discipleship effort is we're, is we're fulfilling life's purpose and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you to be a disciple of Jesus like he has commanded here. If we, and part of that is teachability, if we uh, uh, are not teachable ourselves, then we're not going to be able to teach other people. So do you desire be taught God's word? Is that a passion of yours to learn God's word? Is that something that, that you, you desire and you, 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 you feel like you've missed out on if you don't have it? You know, we live in an age where a premium is placed upon autonomous or individualistic learning. And there's definitely a place for that. Nowhere, there's, there's never been Another group of people throughout all of history that have had more access to knowledge of God and God's word than us right now, particularly the English-speaking world. The, 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 the resources that we have is amazing. Uh, let me put it in perspective for you. you. You look at some of the greats like, like John Calvin or John Knox or something like that. I most likely have far more volumes in my library than they did. Because I just have so much more available to me than what they had. So there is a place for learning on your own. And, 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 I, and so take advantage of that. One of the things that we provide all the, the members of our church uh, is, is Right Now Media. It's something that you can log on. There's great teaching there. And we encourage you to do that at home. We encourage you to do it with your families. So there's a definite place for you learning on your own. But there's something to be said about learning together. God does want us to gather together to learn together. This is one of the reasons that he says, get together so we can worship me and we can learn together. This is one reason why we're using the gospel project in our Sunday school and adult discipleship hour. Because we're all learning the same thing together. It's been great for great conversations around the table. With my daughter, she's four years old, and her lesson was the same as the lesson that Mike taught us. And we can, we can have conversation about we're learning together, but we're also learning together as a church, not just as individual families. You see, learning takes humility, and you can't have humility without submission. The Bible is very clear in James where it says that humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Bible is very clear that if we want to be exalted, we must be humbled first. 
And so this idea of learning together is so important to our spiritual growth and our discipleship and us teaching others to become disciples. You can't have humility without submission. Let me illustrate this to you. I wrote this sentence in my second chapter of my doctoral project. Let me read you the sentence I wrote. Do the scriptures mandate the frequency for observing the Lord's Supper? The simple answer is no. So admittedly, there should be a measure of elasticity allowed in observing of the Lord's Supper. Having said that, I agree with Robert Lentham when he posits the degree to which the church desires the Lord's Supper is a reliable, reliable gauge of how eagerly it wants Christ. thought, that's doctoral level writing right there. My professor, my advisor, sent me back my paper with several notes on it. This is what he wrote in response to what I just shared with you. He said this, actually, your opinion doesn't count. (laughs) Duly noted. He says, I don't care if you agree with Robert Lentham or not. You know, learning takes humility. Now, I could be like, well, wait a minute here. That was kind of rude. Now, in all fairness to my advisor, he did put a little smiley face after that. But the point's true. doesn't matter. If you're going to learn, it takes humility at times. And it's one of the reasons why I love what I'm doing in this doctoral work, because it, it, it does take people challenging my thinking and, 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 um, and cause, giving me opportunities to show humility. Humbly learning together is one reason, Just if I could just be transparent, is one reason why I don't regularly teach the adult discipleship hour. Because I feel like I need to be taught by others. I think I need to have my thinking challenged. Plus, it's good for others to use their teaching gifts and for you to hear different voices than just mine. But this is one of the reasons why we do what we do, because we're providing these opportunities of discipleship, we're providing these opportunities of growth. And so when it comes to discipleship, I really look forward to that time because I know Mike or whoever's teaching is, is going to challenge my thinking. And it's been very helpful and very encouraging to me. So humbly learning together is so important to our discipleship process. So some of us, we need to ask ourselves, why we don't bring, why you don't bring your kids to Sunday school? Or why you choose to sit in the lobby or the coffee shop instead of learning together? Look, we're at war. We've got to learn together. Now, am I saying that in order for you to be a disciple of Christ, you have to attend Sunday school? That's not my point. My point is that a disciple will want to learn about Jesus and will seek to take advantage of advantages of the opportunities that are put before them. You may have your reasons, and that's fine. You, you debate that with God, not with me. But I'm telling you that we need to be disciples who are learning together for Christ. We're, our purpose is to make disciples here. And how can we teach someone something that we're not doing ourselves? We don't have time for pettiness of, I don't like the subject or the format or the teacher or Mike and his goofy hair. We don't have time for that. His hair is getting more gray, I've noticed. We don't have time for that. Discipleship is important and a means of discipleship for our church is found at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. So take advantage of the opportunity. That's just an application point. 
Take advantage of that. It's not just being taught. It's being taught to obey, as we see in the Scriptures here. It's not just information. The purpose of our discipleship hour is not just for you to get more data about the Bible. It's, it's how we can apply it to our lives. One of the things I, I loved about our conversation, even this morning, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and we're talking about Sabbath, and we're talking about keeping the Sabbath and not keeping the Sabbath and all those type of things. And it's very convicting, as, as Mike uh, very uh, uh, giftedly brings us through application points. Don't miss out on that. I need it. I, I, I need it. So for most of us, it's not an information problem. It's just an obedience problem. So we need to know what to do. Excuse me. Let me, let me say that again. So we know what to do. None of us, what I've said, none of this, what I've said is new to you. But do we do it? Do we do it? There's a video that I saw recently that I think kind of captures some of the reasons or, or, or some of our response to uh, what we know. We know it, but we just don't do it. Let's go ahead and play that, that clip. Isn't it good? <laughs> we laugh because we know there's truth to it. We do studies on evangelism. We talk about the importance of making disciples. We ask people to hold us accountable for our own discipleship. But are we really progressing in our discipleship? That's the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Are we really seeing disciples made in our community? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Now, this is t- difficult. You look at these, these first two points about Jesus' authority, giving us a purpose, Jesus' instruction, clarifying how to do that. It still seems really daunting. In the next five minutes, we'll cover this last point, and then we're done. Our purpose is made possible by Jesus' promised presence. You see that? He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, progressing in our own discipleship is hard. Making disciples is hard. And Jesus knew this. And so that's why he promised that he will be with us until the end of the age. The word always there literally means all the days. And so there is not a single day that you will live as a disciple of Christ where Jesus' presence is not with you. In the good days and in the bad days, Jesus is there with you. His presence is there. And so therefore, I, I, I get energy from that. I get enthusiasm from that. I get power to tell, go and make disciples. And because I know Jesus is there giving me the, 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 the ability that I need to have that I do not have on my own. Now, interestingly... To whom did Jesus primarily give this command? Who is he talking to? Verse 16 says it was the 11 disciples. Now, there were other disciples around, but according to Matthew 28 here, it was the 11 disciples. Now, how are they described? Look at it again in verse 17. And, and they saw him, they worshipped him, but some what? Doubted. Did you ever see that before? That some in the, the people who were working with Jesus, they were doubting Jesus. We know Thomas did. They were doubting what was happening here. So this is why Jesus says, I'm with you always. Don't worry about it. 
I'm departing. I'm leaving this earth. But don't worry. I am with you always. So if you doubt, if your faith is weak this morning, you are in good company. Don't wait to get stronger before you're making disciples, though. You will find that as you seek to tell people about Jesus and you realize his promised presence, you will find strength and joy to continue in your discipleship effort. Jesus' promised presence is what energizes us and gives us the ability to go on. It's hard. I am not going to tell you that making disciples is easy. I'm not going to tell you that our own discipleship is easy. It is hard. It's discouraging work, and we're tempted to give up a lot. But that's why we're here, is to make disciples. And Jesus says, I will be with you. So we're not here to win a ring for the king, like Shaquille O'Neal said. We're here to make disciples for the king. I've shown you this before. I'll show it to you again. I'll put it on the screen here. Your name, blank, your name, another blank. It's supposed to be all in one line there. Not sure what happened, but someone should be discipling you and mentoring you, and you should be discipling and mentoring someone else. That's that's what we're told to do. Go and make disciples. So who is helping you in your discipleship? And who are you helping become a disciple of Jesus? This is your purpose. Embrace it, obey it, and see God do things that will amaze you. Like a lady sitting in Iraq, claiming to know Jesus as prophet, but then trusting Jesus as her Messiah and Savior. You think the harvest field is only ripe in Iraq? It's ripe in Verona, in Madison, in Wisconsin. Let's make disciples. We're at war, like we talked about last week. We don't have time to play around. Why we exist must inform all of what we do personally and corporately. So let's go and make disciples. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would make disciples. I pray that we would take advantage of becoming greater disciples of you. I pray that we would... Um, we would be teachable and we would teach others. Father, we, we need you. Do what only you can do here. Father, I long to see disciples made here in Verona, in Madison, Dane County, Wisconsin, United States and the world. Father, I, I, I long to see people come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And so if there's anyone here today that they are not one of yours, they're not a disciple of yours, may today be the day. Give them the courage to talk to me or someone else afterwards. And Father, I pray that we who are disciples of yours would take very seriously the command of our life's purpose of to go and make disciples. Plant this truth deep in us. And may we embrace it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand together and musicians are going to come and lead us in our final song.